So today we have the exciting privilege. Pastor Kent is uh, down on the peninsula. He's going to be speaking there at the Soldatna uh, Church of God uh, Destiny Conference. And uh, so today we have the privilege of having Brad Kessler here to, to share the word with us. Brad Kessler is an MCA member, but he's also on the executive team of the Assemblies of the Alaska Assemblies of God Network. And in that role, he serves as the the treasurer, the secretary, treasurer, uh, business administrator. And so we're so thankful for Brad and his ministry. In addition, I think he's also on the executive presbytery for the Assemblies of God in Alaska, and then the, the general presbytery for the National Assemblies of God. And so as you can see, he's in demand all over the place, and so we're privileged to have Brad here with us today. So would you please join me in welcoming Brad as he comes and shares with us what God has on his heart. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you here this morning. So we've been in a series um, here at MCA about growing to our full potential in Christ. And so uh, this morning, what I'd like to be able to talk to you about is uh, hopefully um, towards advancing that, is how we can reflect God's generosity in our lives. And so, so I want, before we start talking about God's generosity, I want to look first about how, um, how we reflect God. So when we look at some of the great works of art over the centuries, um, the work of art always displays the glory of the artist. For example, if we were to look at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, we would be amazed by the works of Michelangelo. If, if we were to get on an airplane and fly all the way over to Paris, that'd be a long flight, and we were to go down to the Louvre, that's how you pronounce it, right? Not Louvre, is it Louvre? Yeah. So if we were to go down there, and if we were to elbow our way through the crowds and actually get a look at the Mona Lisa, we'd be really impressed with the work of Leonardo da Vinci. The glory of the artist is reflected in creation in their creation. And I believe that one of the most beautiful canvases of art that we see is, is in nature. Um, it's, I love summer in Alaska, don't you? God's glory is just on display there. And I, I believe that God's glory is reflected in nature. In fact, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So the idea of that passage is um, God's attributes, his, his love, his power, his majesty, we can see them all in the nature around, and they're a reflection of God. I love that. So we can enjoy God's creation. We can enjoy his majesty as it's reflected in the ocean, the mountains, the bears, the, the trees, all those types of things. However, those are not the pinnacle of God's creation, are they? There's only one portion of God's creation that where God says, let's make this in our image. You know what that is? It's you. It's me. God said, let us make man in our own image. So if you're following along and fill in the blanks, we are uh, made in God's image. When Adam and Eve sinned, the image of God was marred. It was, it was hindered. Um, but then we know the good news that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. And he redeemed us. And when that happened, he took our shame and he restored the beautiful image of God in us. I love that. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says this. This is um, really our main text for today. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we reflect the Lord's glory. Now, this word for reflect is really interesting. Um, In the NIV, it, it translates it as reflecting. If you were to look in the ESV, it translated it as beholding the Lord's glory. I think in the King James, it's beholding as, as in a mirror. So which is it? Is it beholding the Lord's glory, or is it ref, do we reflect the Lord's glory? My answer would be it's both. The Greek word for reflect here is katapridzo, and it means to reflect as in a mirror, contemplate, or behold. It really uh, it has the connotation of looking at something intently. So as we're looking at, at God's image, as we're looking at God intently, as we're gazing upon him, as that happens, we begin to reflect him in our lives. And we're transformed glory to glory. See, when we start to look at something intently, we begin to reflect it. So we're being shaped into God's image. And we have the responsibility and the privilege to reflect God to the world around us. One commentary I was reading said this, Unveiled hearts allow the message to be heard, understood, and responded to. Unveiled faces have open access to God's presence and thus are contemplating the glory of the Lord as they're in a constant process of transformation by the Spirit. So there's going to be a a picture up on the screen that I took um, in Valdez. And it's a picture of uh, the boat harbor being, the boats in the mountains being reflected into the harbor. Yeah, there it is. Um, When I take a a picture with a reflection, really the goal is to have as few distortions in the water as possible. You don't want a lot of waves because really the point isn't the water, right? The point is what's being reflected. In the same, it's the same way in our lives. The point isn't our life. The point is how we're reflecting God's image in our lives. So really, I, I kind of want you to be thinking about this picture as we move throughout the message today, and how can we accurately reflect God in our lives? Just like that, uh, that picture, the water, even though there's a few ripples, we're always going to have ripples in our lives, right? We're not going to, until we get to heaven, we're not going to be perfectly reflecting God's presence. I sure wish I could, but you know, I'm always going to have a few ripples, and you probably will too. That, that's okay. God's grace covers us. But as accurately, how do we how do we try to reflect who God is? So, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we better reflect God's image in our life? Well, we, we know a few things that are important to do as we spend time in His presence, as we read His Word, as we pray, as we spend time with other believers. You know, those are ways that, you know, notice in the Scripture it says we're being transformed into His image. When we become a believer, we don't instantly become in God's image, like, perfectly as it's acted out in our lives. But we're being transformed and so, uh, you know, by doing these things, we're, we're being transformed glory to glory. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that another way that we can more accurately reflect God is if we can study his attributes. As we behold who God is, we're going to be able to better reflect who he is. Sometimes we do a poor job of reflecting God because we have a poor image of who God is in our minds. For ex- let me give you an example. If, if we really dial into God's holiness, which is good, we really dial into that. But if we forget about God's love and God's mercy, 
and we don't really understand that portion, the way we reflect God is distorted and we're just very judgmental, right? However, if all we focus on is God's love, but we neglect his holiness, we can distort God's image in that way as well. So there's a, you know, it's really important for us to have a full, a full glimpse of who God is and to understand him. So I really think that as we study God's attributes, we're going to be able to reflect him better. Um, today, um, what I'd like for us to study is God's generosity. Now, some people don't see God as being generous. Some people see him as stingy. And I think sometimes that could be because maybe we've had experiences with maybe an earthly father or mother or some kind of authority figure in our life who wasn't generous towards us, and we've projected that idea into who God is. Uh, but I, I want my goal today is to convince you that God's a generous God. Are you open to that? Good. All right. Well, let's take a look at, at God's word then. The first way that I believe the Bible tells us that God is generous is in creation. Psalms 104, verses 24 and 25 says this. O Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. I love that. What a variety of things you have made. Did you know that there are 10,500 different species of birds on the earth? There are 950,000 different insects. Now, I'd be okay if God was a little less generous with that, you know, especially the mosquitoes, right? But nonetheless, there's a lot of them there. There's 5,400 different mammals. There's 30,000 different kinds of fish. Um, I've kind of, the last couple years, I kind of decided I need a hobby. You ever get to that point where you're like, well, I should really get a hobby. I realized that just studying theology, that wasn't enough of a hobby. I need to do something different. So, um, so I started to uh, take pictures. I wouldn't say I'm a photographer because that kind of implies some level of skill. And I don't want to insult photographers. But I like to take pictures of things. And I like to take pictures of things in nature. And I've made it my goal to try to take a picture and identify 100 different species of birds and, and mammals in Alaska. And so at this point, I'm at, I've been doing about two years. I think I'm at about 78 right now. But, but my point here is that just by taking time to notice, I didn't even know there was different kinds of ducks out there. I thought just a duck was a duck, right? But God's diversity and his, and his generosity and creation is so amazing. And there's an old uh, Sandy Patty song um, that someone reminded me of recently. And the first one of the lines says this. What made God take so much care to make creation glow? He could have made it black and white, and we'd have never known. So God, the first, really our first glimpse of how generous God is, is in creation. He could have just made a couple birds, but he just made, he made a whole bunch. He made a, a lot. And he made it for us to enjoy. Thank you, Jesus. The second way is that God is generous towards us in salvation. First of all, he redeemed us. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Do you notice that word lavish? His redemption and his grace he lavished upon us. He didn't just kind of give us just a little bit. He lavished it upon us. I believe this is the most important uh, 
invaluable demonstration of God's generosity toward us in that while we are still sinners, he died for us. He paid the price for our sins. But then also, he redeemed us, but he also pursues us. He pursues us. He didn't just pay the price for our salvation and then kick back and say, well, I'm just going to see if maybe if they accept my, my offer. I don't really care if they do or not. That's kind of their, their deal. No, he pursues us. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires everyone would repent. We could also talk about the parable of the lost coin. And this is in Luke 15, 8 through 10. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. So, and so she just, big deal. She's got nine others. Well, she really wanted to get that coin back. And so she just turned her house upside down trying to find it. Have you ever lost something that's really important to you? So one time, about 24 years ago, um, my wife and I were going to get married. And we were going to school down in Corvallis, Oregon. And um, it was really a, a hectic week because we had, um, I was living in my dorm. She was living in an apartment. We both finished finals week. And for some reason, we thought that that next week would be a good time to get married. So we just finished finals week. We had both moved all of our belongings into the one storage unit because we were going to be going up to Alaska to, um, to work with my family and then coming back to school. Also, my mom happened to fall and break her wrist during, during that week. Also, we had a car accident. And uh, someone ran a stop sign and ran into our car and... Uh, didn't total it, but did a lot of damage, so we didn't have a car to use. So we had all of our family coming in for the wedding, and about 10 o'clock the night before, Friday night, we realized that we couldn't find our marriage license. So most of you know it's kind of important to have a marriage license if you're going to get married, right? That's the thing that you have to have. I mean, that's really one of the few things you have to have. You have to have a preacher. You have to have, I mean, you have to have the rings, of course, but you know, you have to have the marriage license. So we were tearing everything apart trying to find it. I and mean, we were kind of like this woman with the lost coin. We were trying to find it. And then finally we thought, wait a minute, we think it might be at the storage unit. Now, it wasn't one of those 24-hour access storage units, okay? You've got to remember, this was 24 years ago. And so, so we went, and it was locked. And we looked, and there was a manager's house. The lights were all off, but we kind of needed this thing, right? So we went, and we actually woke, knocked, we pounded on the door. We woke him up. And we got him to let us in, and we found it. And, we re- and there was great rejoicing, just like the scripture talked about here. But my point is, if you're here today, and if you don't know the Lord, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, and he, he strongly desires that you're going to know him, that you're going to spend eternity with him. He cares about you. He really does. God's also generous in his provision to us. God has blessed us with spiritual blessings, first of all. Ephesians 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God's generous in his spiritual blessings toward us. He didn't just give us like one of them or two of them. It says he gave us every spiritual blessing. So we already talked about God's generosity in salvation. He also baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. He gives us peace in the midst of a storm. He gives us joy when we're downcast. He's our shelter in times of trouble. He's our strength when we are weak. He loves us when we feel unloved. He gives us wisdom liberally when we ask of it. You're a child of the living God. He's washed our sins and he's become our righteousness. In church, can you see that, boy, he's given us every spiritual blessing. It's incredible. And that's just scratching the surface. God also provides generously for our physical needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't believe that God's end goal is to make us all rich. There's no amens there. I think, now sometimes, you know, God does bless us. I think God's end goal is to shape us into the image of Christ. Um, But having said that, God generously supplies our needs. I think about when, uh, when Jesus multiplied the five loaves and the two fishes to the 5,000. You remember that story there on the, the hillside and near Galilee teaching? And, and, and you can imagine if we're sitting here, I'm teaching, and I'm going on and on and on and on. I'm, I'm not planning on doing that, Brian. But if I was going on and on and, and teaching and everybody started to get hungry and there's no food and, and you know, I started taking volunteers, took an offering, found five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus started to multiply it. And, uh, you know, oftentimes, like if there's not enough food at our house or something like that, and if we have company over, you know, you'll say, tell your kids, hey, kind of take it easy, make sure everyone has enough. Well, there was none of that happening. The Bible says that, um, that everyone ate as much as they wanted. Um, in verse 20, it says they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I put that verse in the New Living because I kind of like that word leftovers. The disciples, there's 12 baskets. You know what that means. Each of the apostles got leftovers, right? They put it in their little Tupperware and they were good to go for the next day. God made more than enough. About 25 years ago, um, um, my wife and my sister, Sarah, um, were in Sitka. They were working at a fish processing plant, and I was working on my dad's fishing boat. And on days when I happened to be in, my sister would go and buy um, a, a tub of Tillamook ice cream. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Amen. Yeah. And, uh, and back then, it was called brown cow. I think now it's called utterly chocolate. But anyway, my sister, Sarah, doesn't really understand the concept of a small portion. So she would take that tub, and she would basically divide it in three. She would get her big scoop out, and it would just be an overflowing bowl. And it was glorious. I loved it. Now, you can look at me and say, yeah, he, he still does that. But, but um, it was glorious. She, she just gave us huge portions. Now, if she was here, she would defend herself and say, we were working hard all day long, and we burned a lot of calories. But when I think about how God provides for our needs, our spiritual needs, and our physical needs, I kind of like to think back to my sister Sarah's helpings, how she would just take out that big scoop and she would dish it up. God, God desires to bless us. 
God's also generous in how he treats people. Uh, Because I'm a frequent flyer um, on Alaska Airlines, I often get free upgrades to first class. I've noticed that you get treated a little bit differently when you're in first class, right? You know, in the back, oftentimes you're kind of scrunched between a couple people and that kind of thing. Now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Alaska Airlines. I've never been treated poor by them by any means. But, you know, you can't treat, they, they can't treat everyone the same. When you're in first class, they just treat you a little bit differently. Well, hello, Mr. Fick. It's very nice to have you. It's a pleasure to have you on board today. And they take your order, you know, even before you, you take off, they take your order to see what kind of drink you might want. They, they bring by a hot towelette, right, that you can kind of use to wipe your face off. It's really wonderful. And, and you know, there's, I don't get the upgrades that often. And when I, when I don't get it, I kind of find myself looking up there <laughs> thinking, I know they're getting that hot towelette right now. Yeah. And you kind of find yourself missing it, you know what I mean? And I've thought... Well, can't they treat everyone like they're in first class? Wouldn't that be nice? Now, I understand the logistics of probably why they can't do that. But here's the deal. Jesus treated everyone like they were in first class. He really did. Do you remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Um, in that time, tax collectors were, were despised. They were viewed as dishonest. And, um, and so, but, but this Zacchaeus, he was really desperate to get a touch from Jesus. So he heard Jesus was coming by Jericho. And Zacchaeus, remember he was a wee little man? Remember you learned that story when you were growing up? Anyway, he, he ran, ran up ahead. He climbed the sycamore tree just so he could get a glimpse of Jesus. So Jesus is walking by. Now Zacchaeus, he wasn't really uh, seen in society as being in first class. Like he really shouldn't have even, even been on the plane, right? But when Jesus walked up to him, he treated him with respect. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today for dinner which was a great honor. And you, could tell, and you could see how Zacchaeus really responded positively to Jesus. Basically, what Jesus said was, Zacchaeus, you've been upgraded to first class today. We could go down the list all throughout the scripture. You never see Jesus treat anyone poorly. He treated everyone like they were in first class. And that's, that's, to me, that's a glimpse of how generous God is. So we've talked about a few things about God's generosity. Um, so now, and we really, we've just scratched the surface, but now I want to ask you, how can we reflect that characteristic of God's generosity in our lives? And uh, I have a few ideas for you. The first way would be through our praise, worship, and thanksgiving to God. Psalms 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. And we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So one of the, I believe one of the best ways that we can respond to God's generosity is by being generous to him in praise and worship. Let's worship him generously. You know, let's not whip, take our little teaspoon and maybe just get a little bit. Let's take out our Sarah-sized spoon and just say, God, I'm just going to give you a big scoop, and I'm just going to praise and worship you. 
I think about the woman who anointed Jesus in Bethany. With, remember, she broke open the alabaster jar. She didn't just get her little teaspoon out and say, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to anoint you a little bit. She broke open that thing, and she gave it all, like more than a year's wages to worship him. Now, the temptation for us is to be generous with our praise and worship only when the circumstances of our life is positive, right? But we want to reflect that characteristic of God all the time, not just when things are going good in our life. God's worthy of praise all the time, through the good times, through the bad times. The biblical model is to worship him all the time. Remember when Paul and Silas were stuck in that Philippi prison and, uh, you know, they had been beaten? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking the circumstances were not, of life were not that good at that moment. But they began to worship and sing hymns to God and praise him about midnight. And so really that's our model is to give thanks in all circumstances. Sometimes we have to talk, to our, talk ourselves into that, though. Do you ever just not feel like worshiping God? I mean, come on. We all, we're all there, right? Sometimes we don't feel like it. And the psalmist was the same way. In Psalms 42.5, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Who's the psalmist talking to? He's talking to himself, isn't he? He's saying, he's saying hey, soul, worship God. Put your hope in God. Sometimes we have to talk to our soul. We have to say, you know, we don't need to lie to ourselves and say, hey, everything's going great. But, you know, we can say, even in the midst of this hard time, soul, I'm still gonna, we're still going to worship Jesus. Secondly, we treat people generously. Uh, the Bible is full of admonitions to love one another. In fact, it says the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus because of our love. And that includes treating people generously and with respect. So I want to ask you a question. Are you treating people like they are first class? I don't really know how to say this delicately, so I'll just say it. Sometimes Christians are not the most generous in how we treat other people. Sometimes we're really focused on reflecting the holiness of God, which is good, but we forget about the generosity part. Sometimes instead of treating people like they're first class, we treat them like that. Sold out the passenger airlines flight in 2017. You guys remember that? The flight was sold out. The passengers were all on board, but they need to make room for four crew members. Remember that? That were uh, needed to get somewhere else. So they started offering travel vouchers to try to get people to give up their seats. Three people gave up their seats, but they still needed one seat. So do you remember what they did? They picked a guy. And they randomly went down and they, they brought the security guards on and they physically removed him. Like they drug him down the aisle. And on his way down, like it's reported that his face hit it, slammed up against an armrest and they were kind of dragging him. He was kind of semi-conscious. Um, I don't want to treat people like that, right? I want to treat them like they're first class. One place that Christians often do not reflect the generosity of God well is on social media. Let's make sure that our posts and comments are reflecting Christ well. Amen? Sometimes we, I don't know, we think that if we post something that nobody else can see it or something. But uh, we'd, say, we'd say things on social media that we would never say to the person's face. I just want to encourage you to reflect Christ well on social media. Reflect his generosity well. 
Um, and then thirdly, be generous in giving of yourself. Be generous of giving of yourself in the areas of time, talent, and treasure. These are really the three most important commodities that we possess. So who should we be generous uh, to? Well, first of all, our family. Don't neglect being generous with your family. Spend time with your family. You know, provide for your family. All those types of things. Secondly, the church and ministry. God has entrusted the great commission to the church, which consists of you and I. It's through the empowerment of the Spirit and the generosity of the people of God that the mission of God moves forward. Um, We should all be giving time to the church. Um, We should all be... Um, also giving our generous with our finances to the church. So the Bible talks about the tithe. I think uh, Brian referenced that earlier. The, the tithe, the idea of the tithe in the Bible is that we give 10% of our income to the storehouse, which in our case would be our church. Um, and this really fulfills two important functions. First of all, it's a reminder that 100% of what we have belongs to God. And there's something about when we physically give that 10%, it's a reminder to us that it all belongs to God. Now, sure, we work hard to earn it, but we realize that God is the source of all of our income. So there's something powerful spiritually that happens. But also, secondly, there's an important practical function, and that that's how the church operates the ministry. Now, you may not know this, but to keep the lights on and all those, uh, we talk about the carpet out there and, you know, um, wages and, and missions and all those kinds of things, that actually requires money. So when, yeah, I know some of you are having a light bulb moment right now. So when, so not only are we being faithful to God when we do that, but we're also helping to provide for the mission of the church, which is very important. And um, even beyond the 10%, we can continue to be generous with giving to missions and other needs. I love the fact that we're celebrating the missions teams that have come here this morning. Um, Thank you for your generosity in coming. Um, that's a great example for us today. You're giving of your time and your finances to be here. So thank you for that. And so I would just encourage all of us um, to be generous uh, with the church, but also generous in our community. Can you find a way to reflect God's generosity in your place of employment? If you're a boss, wouldn't you love to have a, a, a generous employee? And if you're an employee, wouldn't you love to have a generous boss? Or the volunteer work you do at schools, coaching, uh, food bank, hospital, ministry to neighbors. That's all a reflection of God's generosity. It's not just about what happens here in the church. It's about what we do in the community as well. So I I would just encourage us to excel in reflecting God's glory through his generosity. And um, I'm just so thankful for God's generosity towards us. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. So we're going to close out our service today by receiving communion. And uh, as I was praying about the ser- so if our servers would come out and prepare at the, the front of the, the, the sanctuary, that would be a blessing, and the band come out. And uh, as I was preparing last night, I, was, I had this, 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 this picture in my mind of uh, some, one of you, or some of you are kind of in a dry place. You're in a desert place, and there's no water, and, and you, you, you feel like God's kind of dried up, not talking to you. Maybe you need healing or maybe uh, you don't feel his grace in the way that you would like to. And I felt like the camera kind of panned to the right. And right after that, that desert place, there was a big wall, and that wall was a dam. And behind that dam was a, a ton of water. And that water was just ready to, to pour out and, and, and water that soil. 
And um, and so today, as as with Brad's message of generosity, I felt you know some of you when when we when we, when we receive Holy Communion, some, we we usually have those little tiny glasses, you know, the little cups that you barely get a sip of. And uh, I did I went with, with us talking about generosity today. I wanted us to have Sarah sized portions on on our communion. And so I asked the team to to come out today and uh, change things up a little bit because we we used to. Um, Occasionally, we would we'd get out these big cups. May I have one of those, Blaine? And uh, uh, we have these big cups. And, and, you know, the blood of Jesus has done so many amazing things for us. He, he provides salvation. It provides healing. It provides grace. And uh, sometimes we forget. We, we get these little tiny cups at communion, and we forget that God is full of grace, full of everything that we need. And so today, as we receive communion, I want to do so in a spirit of celebration. And I want us to remember that there's more than enough, whatever you might be going through. Uh, maybe you're in a, a tough season today. There's more than enough. There's more than enough grace. There's more than enough healing. And so today, if you would uh, come forward as the band sings this song, uh, we're going to receive communion with big, big cups. To re- we didn't have time to do big gulps, or I might have gone that direction. Uh, but we'll, we're going to do big cups to remind ourselves that God is full of generous generosity. He is full of, of grace for us today. And so as the band starts to play, uh, would you please come forward? We have some folks in the balcony, I believe, who can help serve up there. Uh, if you would come forward in the middle. Uh, receive the bread and the cup, and then you'll go back to your seat, and then we'll come together and receive communion together here in just a moment. So let's go ahead and uh, arise and uh, come forward to receive your your juice and your your bread. 